Good evening. I'm so glad that you joined us tonight on the road to Easter. You are invited into the life-changing story of Jesus as we walk this road that Jesus walked through the last week of his life from the triumphal entry to the crucifixion. On the road to Easter is a road that had dramatic twists and turns, ups and downs, highs and lows. In the course of one week, there was jubilant celebration, powerful teaching, humble serving, the meal to be remembered, atrocious suffering, humiliating death, and then one more event on Sunday. Tonight, we all bring with us our joys, our stresses, and our burdens into this room. We don't check at the door those things that are going on in our deepest parts. As we enter into the story of Jesus, he meets us right where we are. First on the road, we remember the jubilant celebration. Last Sunday, Tyler spoke of it. Yearly, as many as 150,000 Israelites would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And yet no one knew that just a few days before that meal was to take place, there would be a most unexpected entry into the city by a king, King Jesus, mounted on the donkey. All of the Israelites knew the prophecy of Zechariah. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. The crowds were proclaiming Jesus as their king. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There was jubilant celebration by so many. And we know that the next days following the triumphant entry, they were so busy for Jesus and his friends. We know that some of his most memorable events and teachings took place in that very week. The night of Palm Sunday and the next few nights for Jesus were spent in Bethany, just a few um, miles east of Jerusalem. This is where Lazarus had been raised from the dead and where Mary, Martha, and Simon the leper lived. Let's see what happened that week on the road to Easter. We know that early in the week from Luke that the chief priest and the teachers of the law were looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. We know that Judas was talking to them about betraying Jesus. We know on the road to Easter that there was also powerful teaching on Monday, day two. The Gospel of Mark tells us that on the way back into Jerusalem, Jesus cursed the fig tree. That's a metaphor for judgment. Then on reaching the temple and seeing the corruption and the money changers, Jesus turns over their tables and he clears the temple. And he says, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. On Tuesday, day three, going back into Jerusalem, they pass the now withered fig tree and Jesus speaks of faith and prayer and forgiveness. In the temple again, there is a dialogue that takes place between the chief priest and Jesus about the authority that Jesus had. And Jesus spoke of the pointed parable of the tenants 
directed to the religious leaders and their hypocrisy. Then in answer to their questions, trying to entrap him, he tells them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. In answer to their questions, he tells them, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. In answer to all their questions, he calls out the religious leaders and he says that they are whitewashed tombs, snakes, sons of vipers. And then Jesus saw the poor widow come in, putting two small coins in the offering. And he says to his disciples, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Later that afternoon, Jesus sits on the Mount of Olives just east of the city and gives the Olivet Discourse, talking about the destruction to come of Jerusalem and end times, including the second coming and the final judgment. Then that evening, back in Bethany, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus with the expensive perfume. Remember, through all of this, Judas was negotiating with the religious authorities to betray Jesus. Wednesday, day four. The Bible is really very quiet about the events of Wednesday. We don't know why. Some suggest that Jesus took some time for quiet and rest, knowing what was coming. Think about the pace of the week. Think about the events of the week, of which I have mentioned only a few. And we understand the words of John that come later in John 21. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amazing. And we come now to day five, Thursday, and we see that the mood is changing to be more somber. We now see the humble serving that takes place. Just as Jesus had sent out two disciples to find the donkey days before, now he sends Peter and John to prepare the room where they will celebrate the Passover meal, which involved a lamb. Passover was the yearly remembrance of God's delivering his people from their slavery by the Egyptians. You remember that the blood of a lamb was placed over the doors of their homes and the Lord passed over, sparing their firstborn males. We see Jesus and the disciples are gathered for the Passover meal in the upper room. And John says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The humble serving starts with the king of the universe preparing himself and washing the feet of each of the disciples. He laid aside, we are told, his outer garments 
and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Here is the king cleaning the dirty, sandaled feet. And this was just a precursor of so much more to come the very next day, a complete washing and cleansing of heart and soul coming on the cross, Jesus freely giving himself. Then, as Jesus shared the feast of the Passover with his disciples, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What would you think? How would you feel if you knew that Jesus was here tonight as we share this meal that is before us? We come together tonight to partake of the meal which Jesus gave. And we have every confidence that Jesus desires to have this meal with us also, just as much as he desired to have that Passover meal with his followers. In fact, Jesus is here. He is spiritually and truly present in this meal that we are about to have. Not only does he give us this meal, he is this meal. If you're a follower of Jesus, we will pause here with Jesus on our road to Easter. And we want to invite you to this dinner, this meal. It will not quench your physical hunger, but it will satisfy your greatest longings in life. What did you carry into the room tonight? Many of us have carried some very heavy burdens and brokenness, perhaps fears, struggles with sin, doubts, longings, broken relationships, health issues. Each of us here tonight longs for a deeper intimacy with God. And our struggles and our brokenness are only met in the Lord Jesus. As the Lamb of God, Jesus was about to fulfill the true meaning of Passover by giving his body to be broken, his blood to be shed in sacrifice, freeing us from sin and death. Remember that yearly, the Israelites were to remember in the Passover meal, God's saving of his people in Egypt. Now, he gives them this new meal and says to continually remember his sacrifice by sharing the elements of bread and wine. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus was made powerfully real to me four decades ago on a remote mountain top in Mexico. It was a treacherous hike into this isolated village of Monte Rosa with a friend to celebrate Christmas in February with these humble and beautiful people. These people harvested their crops in December, and so they celebrated Christmas each year in February, and we were invited. And after we arrived, people started coming in from all the other mountain tops, just down various trails um, into this one little village. Um, this village had three huts. That was it. 
Um, they were all bringing their food and they were bringing their animals for this three-day celebration. And for me, this Christmas celebration became a profound lesson, not in the birth of Jesus, but in the death of Jesus. I had my camera and I was taking pictures and some of these beautiful people took a goat to be killed and they were preparing it for the celebration. They laid the goat, the legs bound together on this huge rock and they raised the knife up and jabbed it into the heart. The screams were terrifying as the blood poured out. I had never seen anything like it. Well, a little later, it looked like the same thing was happening again, but this time it was a sheep. There wasn't much else to do on this mountaintop, so I went to watch again. The sheep um, was not bound, laid on the rock, eyes wide open. The man raised the knife again, but then he stopped and he turned to me and said, this one is different. I was a little insulted because I did know the difference between a goat and a sheep, <laughs> but I did not understand until he brought the knife down and the blood was flowing, the eyes wide and complete silence, silence, not a whimper. And the truth of the sacrifice of Jesus overwhelmed me as my mind went immediately to Isaiah 53 and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Well, the disciples did not yet fully understand the full meaning of this meal as they were one day short of the sacrifice of the Lord on the cross. You and I are on this side of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. May we see and feel and know the life that Jesus secured for us, which we could never acquire by our own effort. You're invited to come forward this evening when you are ready to take the bread and the cup, representing the body and the blood of King Jesus, the lamb that was slain. There are some options for you as you come forward tonight to take the bread and the cup. You can take it prepackaged like we've been doing for a while during COVID, or you can take the bread and the cups that are here available um, and use those. There's also gluten-free over here behind the cross. You're welcome to take the meal upon receiving it, or you can take it back to your seats and take it there. We will have a shepherd roaming um, and bringing the meal to you. If you um, are not able to come forward, just raise your hand and he will find you. But as the shepherds of Orangewood come forward now and go to the tables, I want to encourage each of us to take just a moment to prepare your hearts. Ask God to come and to meet you tonight 
my dear friends, remember Jesus desires to have this meal with you. Come when you're free. But let me share with you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. And then in the same manner, Christ took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink ye all of it. Come when you are ready. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Well, remember that you are still on the road to Easter tonight. In fact, after celebrating these two meals, the Passover and the Lord's Supper, Jesus and his disciples left the upper room and went toward the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. In agony, Jesus prayed, asking God if it were possible to take away what he knew was coming. His sweat, we are told, became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You may remember that the disciples, after this meal and going to pray, um, took a nap rather than praying. Um, I hope you won't do that tonight. We don't have too much left here. Later, though, that evening in Gethsemane, Jesus was betrayed with the kiss by Judas Iscariot, and he was arrested. He was taken in the middle of the night to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the religious leaders had gathered, and they began making their case against Jesus. At the same time as this mock trial was taking place, Peter was denying Jesus three times. This had been predicted by Jesus at the earlier meal, and Peter said, never. Well, as you can tell, from the late night in the garden to the arrest to Caiaphas, we are already into the next day, Friday, called by many names through the years, Holy Friday, Great Friday, Black Friday, and Good Friday. On this day, we see the atrocious suffering and the humiliating death of the Lord Jesus. These hours from Gethsemane on were a blur of illegal trials as Jesus had a number of appearances before religious and political leaders. He appeared before Caiaphas, the high priest, the Sanhedrin, Pontius Pilate, the governor of the Roman province of Judea, before Herod, that's Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch, the ruler of Galilee, who was the son of King Herod, the one who had tried to kill baby Jesus. And then back to Pilate again. Pilate found Jesus innocent, but he allowed the crowd to decide his fate. The jubilant cries of the triumphant entry now became crucify him. During these hours, there were beatings, 
mockings, being thrashed with whips that were tipped with metal and pieces of bone which would tear the flesh. There were crowns, a crown of thorn that was placed upon his head and forced down. He was nailed to a cross and blood flowed freely from all the cruel punishment. Jesus was insulted by the Israelites and the Romans alike. John 19 records this. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took him, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. From the cross, it is recorded that Jesus said seven things, all showing his continual love and care and compassion for those around him. First to his father, forgive them for they know not what they do. To the thief beside him, today you will be with me in paradise. To his mother, woman, behold your son. And then to the apostle John, behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Then after his death, he was taken and placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. With such tragedy, how in the world can we say that Friday is good? Friday was and is good for so many reasons. Let's look at scripture. It is good because Jesus accomplished what he came to do. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus came to do the father's will and he did it. Friday is good because Jesus came to fulfill the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them something that you and I could never do, as we've seen in our study in Galatians. Friday is good because Jesus came to proclaim the good news. Luke tells us, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friday is called good because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Friday is good because Jesus came to save the world. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Friday is good because Jesus came to call sinners. And when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Friday is good because Jesus came to give his life. Mark tells us, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friday is good because Jesus came to give abundant life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And Friday is good because Jesus came so that we do not have to remain in darkness. He said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. All of these things that I mentioned that make Friday good come together in the cross of the Lord Jesus. It was on the cross that our freedom was purchased. It was on the cross that the Father's will was accomplished. It was on the cross that the ultimate good news was proclaimed. It was on the cross that Jesus saved the lost. It was on the cross that although God passed over the firstborn sons who had blood over their doors of their households in Egypt, now God did not pass over his only son. Punishment was poured out on him for us. It was on the cross that Jesus actually became the lamb, sacrificed. It was on the cross that Jesus washed not just our feet with water, but our hearts and our souls and our whole being with his precious blood, cleansing us completely. I will close tonight by asking you to consider the cross. What role does the cross of Jesus have in your life? If you enter into the life-changing story of Jesus, that means that your life will be changed forever and for good. Is the cross small, far, and distant to you? Is the cross unimportant to you? Or is the cross large and near and precious to you? What controls you? Is it fear or is it faith? The road to, in, to, to Easter is incomplete without the cross and the transaction that took place there. Remember one of the last words that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. In the original, tetelestai, it is paid. The debt of the sinner is paid. Our debt is not held against us any longer. This makes the cross huge in the eyes of the followers of Jesus. It is the lens through which we see life. Good Friday is dark, but the darkness was necessary so that we could walk in the light. As we walk the road to Easter, our embracing the reality and the weight of Jesus' death on the cross brings life to us, life abundant 
and full. We no longer live in darkness. The burdens and concerns and pressures upon our shoulders, upon entering here tonight, are all lightened because of the reality of what our Savior has accomplished for us on that cross. Jesus does not promise to take these pressures away. He promises to be with us in their midst. He has washed us head to foot with his blood, and he longs to have that meal with us repeatedly and to feed and nurture us repeatedly and to walk alongside us on the road, not just repeatedly, but constantly. Yes, the road to Easter has many twists and turns, ups and downs, as do our very lives. And on this road tonight, we leave here with the reality that Jesus was crucified and he was buried. Rest in what Jesus has done for you. Know that Friday is indeed good. And may our viewing of the cross of Jesus as huge and of utmost importance renew and refresh us daily to live for him and love others. And all the more, as we know that Sunday is coming, let us pray. Father, we give you great praise tonight for the gift of your son. We were dead in our sins and by Christ, you have made us alive amazing love. How can it be that you would come and die for us? We sing hallelujah, hosanna, for you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. Amen.